Good morning, world. Welcome to JP Humming. <laughs> Welcome to Daily Musings with JP Hummingbird. Uh, yeah, the experiment continues. I'm going to talk through some thoughts for for about half an hour, and uh, I think the jump off today. It's like falling in and out of love was what I was thinking. I'm going to start with a song of Orion Adams, uh, Dear Chicago. Dear Chicago, you'll never guess. You know the girl you said I'd meet someday. I got something to confess She picked me up on Friday Asked me if she reminded me of you I just laughed and lit a cigarette Said that's impossible to do well, Life's gotten simpler since And it fluctuates so much Happy and sad and back again Crying out too much I think about you all the time It's strange and hard to deal I think about you lying there And those blankets lie so still Nothing breathes here in the cold Nothing moves or even smiles I've been thinking some are suicide But there's buyers out here for miles Sorry about the every kiss Every kiss you wasted bad I think the things you said were true I'm gonna die alone and sad The wind's feeling real these days David hurts me some I never thought I'd feel so blue New York City, you're almost gone Think I've fallen out of love Think I've fallen out of love Think I've fallen out of love Love with you Is it more important how you fall in love or how you fall out of love? Can you even is there any decision making to be done? So easy to slip into into a loving kindness. Ah, what am I talking about? Uh, I guess like there is no, there's no choice. The actual, the fun, the, the meat of the question, there's no actual choice, like the actual, 
feeling. It's just, I guess, how you process and uh, as the rational mind starts to get some semblance of order from the initial surge of falling in love or the, or the heartbreak of falling out of love. And yeah, once the rational starts to take over from that reptilian mind, like what? Then the choices start to enter of like how gracefully you enter or exit. But the actual, yeah, I guess it's that, is this, I have this idea of like, you can't avoid suffering, you can't avoid love, hate. It's just how graceful you do it. Like, I probably mentioned it before, like, but the feeling, I, yeah. <laughs> it's sad when you lose that spark. And it's, it's even sadder when you lose the spark for someone who's still got the spark for you. And uh, you have to try and negotiate that in the kindest way possible. That's, that's the hardest scenario, I think, for me in life. It's almost like I was talking to my boy, Ron Newman, and he's saying, he's saying it's almost better to be, to be, uh, you know, what's the word? To be let down, to be set, to be dumped, I guess they say in England. Which is sad, but that sounds too teenager for me, but it's almost better if someone ends it with you because at least you can sort of, yeah, it's not, I guess it takes the decision element away. And that's the hardest thing in life, isn't it? When you've got a decision hanging over you and you're trying to end something, but you can't do it. And, you know, you're trying not, you're trying to minimise damage and hurt. And then obviously the more you delay, you end up creating more damage and hurt. Or do you? I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not easy, man. Uh, <coughs> yeah, I'm wondering where you you are in your life at the minute. Is there ever stability when it comes to love? Are you? <laughs> I guess. Uh... You're always, is it, you know, you're either on the rise or the fall or... One thing I know is when you're in love, it's a volatile experience. And if your life's full of volatility already, then what's the harm in <laughs> more of it? But, yeah. I remember singing this song in India when I'd, I'd fallen hard and then, and then just on my return trip, I, you know, with a bit of space in this, I realised like, oh my, this isn't, it's not healthy. And I remember singing this song to like, but I think in this song it's, 
Is he getting over? Is it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's ended it or she's ended it, or he or whatever, not the the person or. But it's that feeling of. Uh, you know, you chase an experience. Or is it that person, or is it? I guess you can't really separate it, can you? And how do you blend the sort of magic of of those feelings with the reality of? Oh man, sorry, I picked the wrong room. I've come into my room where I'm assuming it's going to be more quiet, and there's some. I don't know what they're doing outside. I might have to pause and transfer, but <laughs> I shouldn't take you through the exact machinations of this shit, should I? But <laughs> oh, there's a big. Oh, hopefully you can't hear it. I'm just gonna plow on, but yeah. Uh, I don't really know if I've got any insights with this stuff. It's just. It was running through my head and like where am I at the minute? I'm just I'm just I'm just enjoying everything like more and more and and it's almost like if uh, I don't know if I'm avoiding falling in love because I don't, something, when you fall in love, it just messes everything. It's like, you don't enjoy everything else as much because you just want that feeling of love, you know? And, uh, it's like Sam Harris said the other week, it's like, <sighs> I'm trying to redefine it, you know, what, like that, you know, what I've associated with love in the past, that romantic feeling of being swept away by a, by a, a raging river maybe. Is that really love, you know? Or is that, or if it is, is that the kind of love that I need, want to experience? Yeah, I'm more interested in that sort of a backdrop of love, stability, that unconditional feeling, friend or foe or lover or. Enemy, you know, just I guess that higher form of love, maybe the Greeks call it agape or agape in English. We say, like, it's that feeling of awe and and accepting whatever or just sending out love and uh, but without any with no bill. No, just sending out love. That's the, uh, yeah, is that possible? I think it is, because I feel it towards this definite, I feel it that, <laughs> you know, like towards your nieces, nephews and you know, children in general, you just give, you want them to feel secure and you want them to have that, know that 
and yeah, this idea, of, and you're like your inner child as well. You know that you give it, yeah, just keep giving it that gift of attention. I know you're worried. I know you're concerned, and, but you know. <laughs> oh God, uh, I'm sort of going into a dream state. Forget I'm even podcasting at the minute. Well, let's. So, I don't know. I'm going to read a poem. It's sort of. I read. I read this on the train yesterday. I quite liked it, and uh, it sort of ties in, and then leads to something else. But it rem. It's it's called Landline by Patrick McGuinness. It grew in the hallway beside the pot plant. The ashtray and the yellow pages left ajar. It started on the floorboards, unspooled between the carpets and their waferings of underlay. It trapped the skirtings, spine down corners, knew the smell of slippers, insoles crumbling the heel or toe. It knew the frayed shadows that we threw, the address books fading numbers and the crossed out friends, the names trussed up in angry biro or speared by one calm line of ink. The half there, the less and less, the care home hotline and the ads for stair lifts, window cleaners, takeaways. It finished in an A5 sheet blue tacked to the wall. Important numbers with the contacts for their children, two nurses and the remnants of a family one continent away. Plus zero, zero, 32, etc. The deadlines outgrew the living. The A to Z went back to A again an alphabet and countdown until what remained when we had cleared the house was the polished square where the phone had sat, framed in dust, pieces of skin or dandruff at the edges milled to something that felt like talc. Last to go was the word we called it by, landline. Exotic as a telegram, our fingers tracked it underground, getting mustier, earthier, fungal at the seams where our houses let the outside in, with the wood lice and the silver fish the blue bottles stripped for parts on windowsills, the phone, the flex, the pigtail coil, where we made our rings and knuckle dusters as we talked, the receiver that got us hot against our ears, the plug hole glug of someone hanging up. That was the echo of our listening, the last word, the good news and the bad, there in the hallway, where we fiddled with whatever we could find, where there was never a pen that worked, a pencil that had led, had led in, before our telephones lived on air, before we called them landlines. Yeah, that idea of what you let in. What you let into your life. And at one point there was, you were less accessible in, in one sense, but way more accessible in other senses, in, in the real sense, in the let's meet up and explore and <laughs> yeah, I do. and uh, yeah, it's quite nostalgic that it reminds me of reminds me of sitting at the bottom of the stairs waiting for a lift. Maybe it's go to school. Yeah, from reading the Beano, <laughs> the Dandy and waiting and jumping in this little mini metro with 
a friend from down the road that mum would drop us off at school. And then, yeah, you keep returning to this spot to try and communicate with the outside world. And, and that's it's kind of what I'm doing now. Like, I'm talking into air, but I'm returning to this one spot, even stubbornly now, because there's stuff going on outside that's distracting, but I just, I like the ritual of one spot to do certain things. Maybe that's just oh, another tism tendency, another tendency that's, that I'm discovering more and more. Uh, but yeah, this, uh, nostalgia, yeah. So this weekend is, was a, a fun weekend. I caught up with an old one of my favourite cousins and in Birmingham we had a great shared some stories and it was interesting to you know when you're so close you're close to someone but far away because you spend you're all getting on with your lives and you don't realise what they're going through or you're and they don't know what you've gone through or going through and, and you sort of compare notes and you're like wow that's really interesting we've got even more in common than before But I mentioned, uh, holy shit, I'm gonna have to move, this is insane. Right, I'm gonna pause and come back. Uh, there's just too much noise out there now. Uh, I had to retreat to my bedroom. Feels weird. Doesn't feel like it's a pair I should be podcasting for. <laughs> Almost perverse. Scheisse. Uh, but yeah, I went to watch this uh, Greek play yesterday. It was... In, it was... Uh, it was about Odysseus's wife, Penelope. By this amateur company in Birmingham. And I quite enjoyed it. Were, it was an all-female cast. They were very... Uh, full of a lot of energy and, and silliness and... and seriousness and yeah it was just an explanation of what she had to go through in the 20 years when Odysseus is off on his adventures I'm I'm sort of assuming you know Odysseus is I guess I I learned about him because of his association with Sicily uh, if that's where it took place, but there's a you know island of the Cyclops, uh, and his story around the Cyclops and oh yeah, but I just well, where was I going with this? I don't remember. But yeah, it was it was uh, I was enjoying it and. But at the same time, just the act of sitting still was really hard. <laughs> and uh, so just observing myself, trying to, trying to, at some points I was like, ah, oh, like I wanted to sleep. And then others I'm like fidgeting and moving and uh, trying to stay engaged. And I nearly left at the interval because I just didn't want to disturb other people. But... 
And in the second half, I changed seats, went down the bottom where I could just spread out uh, just to change the angle of it. And so it was like I wasn't closer, more visceral than... Yeah, the ending was great because it's sort of going all in the right direction, but then the Greeks, they have to put that tragic element in there. And uh, so such a good feeling where you like... Because there's bits of laughter and there's bits of like, and it's all coming together and you think, oh, yeah, it's like a heading towards a classic Hollywood ending. And then, no, it's like, boom, bring in that sort of tear-jerking moment. And I did feel it. I almost got swept away with it, but just just shy of, like, shedding a tear. And, yeah, I, I enjoy that feeling immensely. I think it's it's beautiful. To draw a tear out of someone, it's almost, uh, yeah, it's a very powerful thing. And uh, yeah, on the train, I was just having a read, and I, I, I was reading about Baudelaire. You know, the French. Uh, we've spoke about him before, but. Uh, Just this, uh, you know, as a flaneur and someone who's like, we're talking like 18, what are we talking, 18, late 1800s maybe? Yeah, 1864. And how like in his, he, there's a point in his life when he's so like, he's kind of cool, you know, this cold, exterior and but then as you as you get as he gets older and more you can't keep that you can't keep that up there's a point where you have to let go of that and you have to like embrace life uh, well I'm totally distracted now that uh Uh, yeah, it was just, I guess I've linked it. It's come to my mind now because it was sort of, his ending is very tragic, you know. Hold up in a in a hotel in Brussels with debts and a drug addict and just in pain and dying from syphilis and, and just a sort of sad demise and then just becoming so bitter and angry and he wrote all these notes just, just slating Belgian people and... Uh, real mean uh, and just yeah I don't know there's one line they say like a, a phoenix reborn as a crow you know <laughs> that's just an interesting <laughs> because while yeah crows I look at a crow and they're a beautiful creature but some people see them as ugly and but they are cunning and intelligent and I guess as he's sort of fading away that 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 intelligence is still there that sharp wit uh, but it's being misdirected and
yeah, maybe, you know, I wonder what would happen if you'd opened his heart a bit more, maybe. Or, it's complex, isn't it? This description, he, he takes his own dreams, nightmares, outbursts and reveries as manifestations of a natural perversity. Baudelaire and his kind inhabited what was a very snug masculine world. Dandified aesthetes and their salons and exclusive drug clubs, their unhurried strolls, their assassinations for money. These were the guys who didn't have kids to look after, meals to prepare, a clock to punch. In this time before teenage... It was temptingly easy to remain an adolescent your whole long life. Whole life long. You do meet... Uh, oh, I've lost my train of thought. I can't focus in this. Hmm. Uh... Apologies. I think I'm going to pause again, go in the other room and finish on a song. Hello again. Uh, part three, I'm going to finish <laughs> with the... I'm going to finish with the Nick Cave lyrics. I'm not going to sing it because I just can't pull it off. But I just want to read these lyrics. It's Green Eyes by Nick Cave. I don't know why I'm doing this radio bit. I've never done it before. <laughs> when I'm announcing what I'm doing. <laughs> oh, God. Kiss me again. Rekiss me and kiss me. Slip your frigid hands beneath my shirt. This useless old fucker with his twinkling cunt doesn't care if he gets hurt. Green eyes, green eyes. Green eyes, green eyes. If it were but a matter of faith, if it were measured in petitions and prayer, she would materialise all fleshed out. But it is not, nor do I care. Green eyes, green eyes. Green eyes, green eyes. So hold me and hold me. Don't tell me your name. This morning will be wiser than this evening is. Then leave me to my enemy dreams and be quiet as you are leaving, miss. Green eyes, green eyes, green eyes, green eyes. Thank you, Nick Cave, for being the greatest. <laughs> uh, Godspeed, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, send me your thoughts and I give you all my love. Take care.